Hi, everyone. I'm Brene Brown, and this is Dare to Lead. So a couple of episodes back, we talked to Charles Feltman about his incredible book, The Thin Book of Trust. And we talked about what it means to build trust between people in teams, in organizations. And so, Barrett, welcome. Hi, so happy to be back. I thought you and I could really dig into how we talk about trust here at Brene Brown Education Research Group. I'd love to. Yeah. We'll talk about the marble jar. We'll talk about braving trust, the acronym we have for the seven attributes of trust, how we use that. We'll just jump into the whole thing. And maybe we can also talk about some of the barriers that we see when we teach this, when we train it. Sounds great. I'm excited. Yeah. What do you think is the most important thing about trust? That's a really good question. For me, it feels very much like a cycle. The more I have trust in my team, the more productive we are, the more I feel like I can rely on them and count on them and feel like really in the trenches with them. And so for me, it's just, especially at work, it's such a a cycle of these small moments that build trust more productivity, more leaning on each other, more asking for what we need. It's just a complete cycle. And what does it feel like when it breaks? Like a shit show. Nobody knows who's juggling the balls. And at any minute, we know there's going to be a ball dropping. It doesn't feel cohesive. It's true. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah. It's kind of everything, isn't it? It it does. It does feel like everything. Yeah. All right. We'll dig into... What we've learned about practicing it, what we've learned from teaching probably tens of thousands of people. Yeah. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Wow, that guy means business. Just an amazing player. No, not him. The sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield. So he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are in APY. APY can change at any time. Hi, Barrett. Hi, Brene. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Dare to Lead. We're in better moods today. (laughs) We are in better moods today. In case you caught that sister podcast over on Unlocking Us when we were like, dead ass tired and also grappling with kids in crisis and parents and literally it's so funny because they called it the sandwich generation when I was growing up I remember like hearing about it maybe on TV or in like Time magazine and I remember watching mom take care of Mima and thinking oh they're the sandwich generation well I'm renaming it to the shit sandwich generation <laughs> It's so hard. So we're in a better place today. Are we in a better place? 
Well, I thought so until you explained the sandwich generation. (laughs) (laughs) That does not go away. But this is an interesting topic to talk about, not only in relation to work, but also our lives, right? Yes. Okay. So we're talking about braving trust and what trust means. And we're going to go through the acronym that we use, the braving acronym that we use to talk about trust here in our organization. And we've shared this with organizations kind of all over the world. And many times what we hear back is this is one of the biggest, stickiest things that the acronym ends up going in people's offices and cubicles and added to their performance evaluations or just their check-ins. So we're going to walk through it with you today. I think I'll go back, like way back and put trust into context and kind of start with the story of the marble jar. What do you think? I love that. Yeah. So this was many years ago because Ellen's in her first year of graduate school and I think she was in like late elementary school. So she's 22 now and she was probably 10 then. So it was maybe 12 years ago. So one day Ellen comes home from school and just walked to the local elementary school. Oh, I know she had to been in fourth or fifth grade because she wasn't allowed to walk back with her, just her friends without a parent to fourth or fifth grade. That makes sense. Fifth grade, it didn't happen (laughs) because as the oldest child of two eldest children, she was the captain of the safety patrol. (laughs) Of course she was. (laughs) So she had to stay late as she was captaining. I remember one time, this is a funny story, just an aside. In fourth grade, before she became the captain of the safety patrol, the fifth graders all went camping for the day or for two days. And so they temporarily promoted some of the fourth graders. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) such a great story. And so she and her friend Lorna became kind of acting captains, fourth grade captains of the entire (laughs) safety patrol. And after the second day, when she got home, I was like, how was school? I was running the safety patrol. She said, "Mm, Mr. Lowry gave us a really hard talk. And I said, (laughs) about what? And she's like, (laughs) fourth grade, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. (laughs) I was like, wow, Lord Acton in fourth grade. She's like, yeah, she said that the power had gone to our heads. (laughs) (laughs) That we were issuing demerits without thinking through the consequences for the kids getting the demerits. Oh my God. (laughs) And as a former PE teacher who used to have to lead the safety patrol, <laughs> this is bringing back some crazy thoughts and memories. You, you let the safety patrol? <laughs> Can you believe it? <laughs> the youngest and the six on the Enneagram. Yes, they let me do that. I don't know how they let me do that. Are you scared all the time? <laughs> yes. A six on the Enneagram for those of you who don't know. <laughs> they... Uh, They really can think through some worst case scenarios. (laughs) Wow. So you led the safety patrol. Hey, there were no injuries on my watch. (laughs) Proud to report. (laughs) Okay. So I know Ellen was in fourth or fifth grade during this because she walked in by herself. She kind of came in the front door. I closed the door and she literally turned her back to the door, started sobbing, like just wailing, sobbing and slid down the door until she was just sitting, you know, on her bottom with her back against the door. And I said, oh my God, Ellen, what happened? What's wrong? What's going on? It was, I was so scared. I was alarmed. And she said, she told the story. She said, I told someone a 
secret, something really private at recess, something that had happened. It was really awful and embarrassing. And by the time I got back into my classroom, this friend had told everybody. Mm. Yeah. And, oh, you know, that heartbreak when you see your kid in that situation. And she looked at me and she said, I'll never trust anyone again. And really, honestly, my first inclination was like, (laughs) damn straight. You trust me, your mama, and that's it. Trust nobody. But that's a terrible way to live, (laughs) right? So I said, I totally get that. You know, I totally get what it's like to put your confidence in someone and give someone something that's really fragile and tender to you and then have them just throw it out to other people. And it hurts so bad. And then on top of the embarrassment or shame or whatever you're feeling, there's the hurt of being betrayed. And so we talked about that. And I said, we do have to trust people and we have to learn how to trust people, but we need to trust the right people. And I couldn't think of a way to talk about that until I thought about her teacher, Mrs. Bauckham. And I said, do you remember how Ms. Bauckham had the marble jar in the classroom? And that, did you have a marble bar- jar when you were a teacher? I did. You did? Mm-hmm. Is that a thing? Yeah, it's a thing for, for us. I had to use it with the fifth graders because, you know, they do get that sense of power in fifth grade. And so for me, it was like they got to earn free time or they got to earn things. And so yeah. I had a lot of teacher friends that had marble jars. Yeah, and this is decades ago, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I said, the marble jar Miss Bauckham keeps, you know, if collectively as a group, y'all make great behavior, she puts marbles in. When collectively as a group, you don't make great behavior, she takes marbles out. And when the marble jar is full, you get to have a celebration of your class's choosing. And I said, trust is like the marble jar. We share our most tender, fragile things with people who have a really filled up jar. They've done so many things over time where you can trust them. And she was like, oh, you know, the first thing she said is, I shared this with someone who is not a marble jar friend. This is not a marble jar. This person did not have any marbles in my jar. I didn't even really think about that. This is a person who loves to have the biggest news, who loves to tell what's going on, who likes who, who broke up with who, you know, who's in trouble. And I didn't know about the marble jar. And I said, okay, it's okay. Like, this is how we learn how not only to confide in good friends, but how to be a good friend. So from that point forward, we talked about trust as a marble jar. And it was really interesting because the more I started pulling out all the data and looking through the concept of trust, the more I realized that trust is like a marble jar. It's not built in big sweeping moments. It's built in tiny moments over every day. What is your experience of that? I totally agree. I Because I don't think I obviously had the language for it, but I think it is the small moments. It's like, Tell the story really quick here. I think about who was it that walks past his wife? Oh, John Gottman. Yes. Our friends from the, I mean, one of our biggest episodes on Unlocking Us are the Gottmans, Drs. John and Julie Gottman. And he studied trust and betrayal and relationships for, you know, four decades. Mm -hmm. His research is so compelling. I mean, the author of a million articles, books. So when I was looking into the research around trust and is there data that demonstrate this? Or is it just, is this more relational and not in terms of the world of leadership and other worlds? He tells a story about being in bed at night and being on the last two pages of his mystery book. And you and I can relate to that, right? Like 
<laughs> we are obsessive Louise Penny mystery readers. I'm obsessive. I just got- I just started book yeah, one. Yeah. And I'm on book, like I've read 12 of them in the last, I don't know, six months. <laughs> So he was getting ready to figure out, and you know how when you read mystery books, the clip, the pacing at the end is every page is, oh shit, this is the connective tissue. Oh my God, this is what that little thing meant. So he was like, you know what? I'm going to put this down. I'm going to go up, go into the bathroom and go to the bathroom. I'm going to brush my teeth. And then so I can just get in here and read and be undisturbed. So he gets up and he's walking in the bathroom and he passes his wife who's in there brushing her hair and looks really sad. And his thought was, just keep walking. Like, don't stop. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, because this is an yeah. emergency situation at the, end of a, totally. in the, in the end of a mystery book. But he stops because he said that trust is our sliding door moments. And he's referring to a movie. I loved it, but it was tough with Gwyneth Paltrow. Mm-hmm. It's a movie where... She is running to get on the tube in London and she makes it and she jumps on at the last minute before the door closes. But then the film goes into two different paths, one where she makes the train and one where she doesn't with dramatically different endings. So those are sliding door moments. Like we have them all the time in our lives and we're not even aware of them, Mm -hmm. right? And so he said that, this was like so striking to me when I read this. He said that trust is in those sliding door moments. And he actually stopped and took the brush out of his wife's hand and then started brushing her hair and said, you know, you look sad, tell me what's going on. And he said, not only is that a trust building moment, but to walk past her because he's busy and he's worried about something else or he's excited about something else or he's got his own timeline is an act of betrayal. And so all of the research, the existing research that we could find in the literature supported this idea about trust being built in small moments. And then we started researching it to find out when you feel trusted or when you build trust with someone, tell us about it. And it was so crazy because someone would say, oh yeah, I really trust my manager. She always asked me things like, how's your dad's chemo going? Or how was the soccer tournament for your kid this weekend? Or... Did y'all end up going to the concert last night? How was it? Like these really small moments of seeing each other as humans. Does that make sense? Yeah, and that's when you asked me about like the marble jar moments. For me, they are those really small moments. It's like, hey, even circling back with someone in that meeting on Zoom, I could tell that you were kind of distracted or that something else was going on. So I just wanted to follow up and see like, do you need support? What's going on? Like those are the things to me, it's like, It almost feels 50-50, like those moments versus like questions about deliverables. Right. It's like they're both so important. And so those are the small moments when I think about work and when I think about leading and being led, those are the moments that mean the most, I think, is to just see, see each other and acknowledge that we have a lot going on outside of work and... When I circle back with someone and I know they're okay, then I'm like, great, let's hit it. But when they're not okay, great, well, what do you need and what does support look like? And do you want the rest of the day? Do you need me to jump in and help? Like, those are, to me, really crucial moments in every single day. I want to pause and kind of hover on this for a second because when we take people through Dare to Lead, and when I do it, you're always with me and we do it together. Mm -hmm. 
It's so interesting because one of the things that stops people from checking in and having those marble jar moments is they don't know what to do if it's hard. Yeah, if someone says, actually, yes, I am falling apart. Or yeah, chemotherapy is not going well. Mm -hmm. I have a meeting with my mom's doctor, my mom today about hospice. Like they engage in micro betrayals out of the fear that if they do an honest check-in, they might step into something that they don't know how to handle. Would you agree? Totally. It's the biggest fear. It's even, it's even, y'all, the fear when we teach people how to do the two-word check-ins. So we love this check-in with meetings because it's a great way to be seen as a human and to check in with your people. So y'all, I'm sure if you listen to Dare Lee, you've heard these. Let's do a two-word check-in right now as an example. Okay, so I'm going to borrow Murdoch's from this morning because I thought it was so great. Oh, did y'all have a two-word check-in this morning? Yeah, it was failure to launch. <laughs> Oh, holy shit. That's not good. <laughs> I would, but it was like, he's just like, I need some more caffeine. Like I just need something to get going today. You know, I'm teaching an MBA course right now at the University of Texas at Austin in the McCombs Business School. And the MBA students are so freaking awesome, aren't they? Oh my they? God, yes. They're just so kick-ass. But we start everything with a two-word check-in. And there's like 90 students in this course. <laughs> yep. And so we have them check in on chat, mm-hmm. you know? And so they check in on, because- we have some in-person courses, classes, and then we have some virtual classes. And so we check in on chat. And I just, you know, I said, everybody put your two-word check-in on chat and let's all spend a couple of minutes. And it's just amazing to see what happens. This is 90 people. Oh, yeah. You know, people are like hungry and angry. <laughs> and then somebody will say, oh, God, that's actually, I'm hangry and curious, you know, or I don't know, but these poor MBA students are always so hungry. They are so hungry. <laughs> but it's like the second you normalize and you're like, God, a lot of you guys are hungry tonight. Hope you're taking care of yourselves and eating. Then it's like they can put that aside and like really jump in. Yeah. And it's so neat because somebody will say like overwhelmed and trying to focus. Mm-hmm. And then 15 people will heart it. Yes. You know, and it's just incredible. But how many times... Have you heard leaders tell us, I'm scared to start my meeting with a two-word check-in because what if someone says, scared and lonely? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's a couple things I want to say about this. One is whether they tell you they're scared and lonely or not doesn't change the fact that they're scared and lonely. Yes. Whether you know it or not doesn't change that that's where they are. And if you don't know it, God, there's so much damage you can do. And there's so many opportunities for support that you're missing and trust building. And the second thing is, if I had 20 people in a team checking in, and let's say you say sad and lonely. Okay, sad and lonely. I'd say, okay, thanks, Barrett. You know, Murdoch, Chaz, I would keep going. Then afterwards, I would just call you or, hey, can we jump on a Zoom or can I, you know, I'd probably just call you and say, hey, do you have a second or text you? Do you have a second? Can we jump on a call? Mm -hmm. I just want to circle back to this morning at the meeting. You checked in and you said sad and lonely. I want to just, uh, can I check in with you and see what's going on and what does support look like for me today? That's the sentence, right? That's the question. That's it. What does support for me look like? Because... What that question says is, I want to support you, 
but I don't know how. And I'd like for you to tell me what you need. Mm-hmm. You yeah. don't ask it if you don't mean it. Yeah. That's just awful. And if you don't mean it, you probably shouldn't be leading actually. I agree. And you know, I even do it to people I don't lead. I mean, yeah. I have an interesting position because I actually have relationships with everyone, but sometimes it's even like I just slack someone and said, hey, this was your two-word check-in today, and I just wanted to see everything okay. You want to jump on a call? Do you need anything? Yeah. And sometimes it's that, and sometimes they're just like, just a shit morning. I'm fine. Thank you for checking. Yeah, that's I mean, that's it. it. Depending on what the two-word check-in is, I'll call or slack, but it literally takes less than five minutes of my day. And, and it's a marble. It's a marble. And I need to know if someone's like really struggling and- Hell yes, we do. Yeah. 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 So we've gone on a 15 asides, but I think it's good to break it down into really micro things because I think people are scared to check in with the daily stuff. I think people are scared to say, how's your dad's surgery? How's your mom's chemotherapy? Mm-hmm. You don't have to be in person to do that. No. I'm just like, oh no, we haven't. We've been virtual for since February March. of last year, yeah, March yeah. of last of 2020. Yeah, and I'm telling you, it actually matters so much. It does. I want to read this. This is from Melinda Gates. So we did a lot of work at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and Melinda shared something. Didn't dare to lead, but I'm going to read it to you from the book. This is Melinda Gates writing. After you taught me your metaphor about marbles in a jar, I adopted it as my entire framework for thinking about trust. Every small gesture I make in support of a colleague puts one marble in the jar. But anytime I undercut a colleague, anytime I betray trust, a huge handful of marbles goes out of the jar. Thinking in this way makes me more aware of the seemingly small things that lead to building trust and also the small things that might break trust. You know, it's... It's such a helpful visual, I think, to talk about this huge, gauzy construct. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L 
V-A-N-29.com. All right, let's get into braving. Before you get yeah. into braving, yeah. share, um, you know, our friend Charles Feltman was on, share his definition of trust and distrust with everyone. Oh my God, how much do you love Charles Feltman? I love him. I was actually just flipping through my notebook because I had so many pages of notes when we, he was on the podcast. I loved what he had to say about trust. Oh yeah. If y'all haven't listened to The Dare to Lead with Charles Feltman on trust, and his book is called The Thin Book of Trust. And The Thin Book is like a series or brand of books, and then his is on trust. It's the second edition just came mm-hmm. out recently. Yes. And so I really recommend it. It's literally the kind of book that you can read, not on the red eye from LA to New York, but you know from Houston to Chicago, You know, an hour and a half. It's a very quick book, but just meaty as heck. So Charles Feltman describes trust as choosing to risk making something you value vulnerable to another person's actions. And then distrust is deciding that what's important to me is not safe with this person in this situation or in any situation. Oof. So good. Yeah. I think the first thing we think about when we think about distrust or betrayal is lying, cheating, undermining, like these very Machiavellian, malicious behaviors. Yeah. But running late for a meeting and passing someone that you can see is distressed and not stopping is also betrayal. Yeah. You know, and we don't think about those. I know. And for me, it brings up, we did this uh, massive engagement with an organization last year and into this year. And one of the things that we talked about is whoever's running the meeting, if they don't allow something to come into Mm. the meeting, it's also like a form of distrust. And so I'm going to say this and I'm going to let you elaborate on it, but it's like the two-word check-in also allows people to bring something in that they really need for their leader to understand what's happening. Oh my God, this is such a great point. I'm so glad you brought it up. I think it lets them bring their humanity in. Mm -hmm. And this is something that Ico Bathia and I talked about. We had another podcast on Dare to Lead. It's a two-part podcast. And Ico and I talk about this a lot. What a leader brings into the room is allowed in the room. What a leader does not bring in the room is not allowed into the room. And so when you start something with a two-word check-in and you say how you're feeling today matters, then what you're bringing into the room is We've set a table for your humanity, not just your freaking deliverables. Yes. Not just your performance, not just what you're producing. Mm-hmm. But if you don't bring that in, if there's no check-in, if you're like, all right, thanks everybody for being here. Let's check in right now. So Barrett, you were supposed to have a two-page brief today for us on, you know, how many people would respond to that by saying, yeah, I have the brief. I just want to start by saying today I'm feeling... Nobody would say that. Nobody would say that. Nobody would say that. And if you're thinking like, I don't know, I think, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to not to be like shitty about it. So I'm reframing from shitty to productive. Hold on. Well, you know, they like to call this the pause cast. So here we are. (laughs) It's been my experience be measured in what I'm saying right now because I don't want to be hyperbolic, but it's been my experience that the people who say that checking in with people's feelings, 
checking on people's humanity, inviting into the room is soft, is unimportant, is kind of weak leadership. It's been my experience that those are the most fearful people. Not the toughest, not the most daring leaders, not the bravest, not the most effective, not the most high performing. And we can use data to reality check the sentiment that conversations about trust and vulnerability have nothing to do with performance by just looking at Project Aristotle. You know, Mm -hmm. years and years and years of studying the highest performing groups at Google and what do they have in common? Number one, psychological safety, trust, and vulnerability. So there are no data to support it. And this is true whether we're working with special forces or we're working with creatives. We're working oil and gas in Hong Kong or we're working with NGOs in Africa. It doesn't matter. You know, we're people mm-hmm. and we are emotional beings. And so when you sever that, I think you're in trouble. Yeah. And I will say one of the things I love about being in your MBA class while you're working with these students is like, they have such an appetite. They're almost demanding to be able to bring their whole selves to work and not have to compartmentalize and, you know, not talk about themselves or how they feel at work. And it's just like, I was in an interview with somebody and I said, I was really excited about your MBA class because I would love any one of those students to be leading my 11-year-old in 15 years Mm. because they just want something different. Yeah. And I think that's what makes the millennials and the gen, I mean, I don't like to talk about in broad swaths of people, but just if you want to look at aggregate ways of showing up, I think that's what makes millennials and gen Zers so vulnerable to this bullshit criticism about trophies and entitlement is because they want something different and they're not afraid to ask for it. And they are not quite willing to settle for something that makes them sever their humanity. And what I say to them is effing right on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as a mother of a gen, I always have to think about it. Gen Zer. I'm so hopeful about that generation and the millennials. I'm hopeful that they want something different because I think what they've witnessed is the absolute failure of the contract that we pretended was in place where we produce, we produce, our self-worth is tied to our productivity and our performance. And yeah, and they grew up in those those households with us as parents and those divorces and those struggles. And they're not even setting a higher bar. They've just walked away from the bar altogether. Thank God. Yeah. And just said, no. They give me do- so much hope, your MBA students. Yeah. And because it's a combination of drive and ambition, but drive and ambition that doesn't artificially separate the personal and the professional. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's good because I think the biggest fight in my career really has been, I am as personally ambitious as I am professionally. And by personal ambition, I mean, I'm going to be the parent with the fat head 
if y'all don't know what those are, those are like <laughs> like the heads of players at sports games, their senior year. It's a big tradition here where their heads are like four feet tall and every parent's got like <laughs> a big head on a stick during their senior games. But I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna be that parent mm-hmm. with the fat heads and I'm going to be the timer at the swim meets and I'm gonna be at things. Mm-hmm. And so that's been the biggest struggle of my career is working in organizations where even in academia, maybe especially when I had my first, when I had Ellen, the message was, oh, that's so neat that you're a mom now, but don't look like a mom, smell like a mom, and God forbid you have any kids in tow. I mean, literally, I think, Barrett, this is true. When I got pregnant in my PhD program, talking about trust, one of the heads of the program, when I told him that I was pregnant, said, Jesus, you know, you were a star here. We thought you were going to really do something. <laughs> like your career was over because you had a child? Yeah. Yeah. That, geez. Yeah, but that was definitely the sentiment. And not from everybody, but certainly from a couple of people that really mattered. That's terrible. Yeah. But I think that's changing. And I think that's good. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had our first Beeberg baby last year. Oh, we did have our first <laughs> Beeberg baby. Was it last year? No, Lila's going to be two. Oh my gosh, really? Already? Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And we've got another Beeberg baby. Mm-hmm. I know. I know. I love and it. And they make Zoom appearances sometimes. Yeah, and we love the, it. It's the best. And just to be honest with you, not flexing here, but we're successful. Yeah. It's not like there's no false choice here. No. There's not like, hey, we need to get really excellent shit done or we need to be caring. It's we get really excellent shit done because we're caring. Yes. Yeah. All right. Let's jump into braving. Do you want to? Yes. Okay. This is the acronym that we use for trust. And I think the reason we use this is because when I started researching trust and really digging in, what I learned, the fastest thing I learned was, man, if I call you into my office and say, hey, Barrett, I want to touch base with you. I think my sense is we've got some trust issues. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not going to hear anything else you have to say. Yeah, no, I mean, like we really go into Charlie Brown mode. Like we really go into that kind of out of the prefrontal cortex where we're thinking and organizing, analyzing our executive functioning and into that like reptilian fight, flight or freeze mode. And all we really hear is kind of (laughs) trust. I'm going to fire you. You know, whether I'm saying that or not. We've set this weird thing up that We can barely talk about trust because, you know, daring leaders don't only build trust. They talk explicitly about it. They're not afraid to name it. Mm -hmm. But we have, I think, become afraid to talk about it because it's so big and heavy and gauzy. And, you know, my definition of trust is different than your definition of trust. So because of the gauzy big nature of trust and the fact that when we hear it in any kind of, even something we perceive as an assault on our trustworthiness feels like a character assassination, right? Mm -hmm. Like It does. Who am I? I mean, what would your feelings be if I say we have big trust problems? It's so hard for me to answer that because we don't talk about it like that. But I can think back to when I was working elsewhere and it's like, it is a personal attack because I consider myself a person of character. And so when you come at me talking about that you can't trust me, I'm all, I'm just making up stories in my head. I'm not hearing anything else that you've said. Yeah, I would be the same way. Yeah. I would get so immediately, you know, fight, flight, or freeze. You know which one I'm picking. 
<laughs> well, I don't actually. Today, I think you'd pick fight. <laughs> <laughs> I would pick fight today and yesterday and this most of week. <laughs> most of 2020 and 2021. I'm actually going to I'm always going to pick fight. That's going to be my default. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I can be a flyer occasionally. <laughs> not this year. Actually, probably not in the last 3 or 4 years, but I used to be a flyer. Yeah, I don't experience you as a flyer. But I used to be like, I'm out. I can still freeze with certain people. Yes, I can too. Yeah. And especially when I'm taken off guard. I mean, Me too. I think the beauty of how we work is that it's usually never a surprise because no. we talk about yeah. feedback and we talk about trust so much. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think that's the whole getting to braving. So the intention of the braving inventory, it's a tool for creating the time, space, and intention to really talk about trust in a way that's productive and actionable. You know, it's a rumble tool, a guide, you know, a touchstone. And so if I called you in to talk about, you know, unless I was giving you immediate feedback about, about something, I might say something like, you know, this is, you've heard this on every Dare to Lead podcast that you and I have done together, especially if something happens, I'm going to try to give you feedback about it within half an hour. Yes. I'm going to say, hey, do you have five minutes? I want to circle back about something that happened in the meeting. This is my perception of what happened. I'm curious about what your perception was. Can you walk me through what's going on? Can we talk about it? Mm -hmm. But I think with this, we are so used to saying, hey, let's go through braving together next week. What's a good time for you? And the expectation in our office would be you're coming with some ideas about where you think we are on each of the seven elements. I'm coming with some ideas and we're comparing. Mm -hmm. So instead of saying, hey, I need to talk to you about a trustworthiness issue, it would be let's check in around braving. Mm -hmm. And I would probably as you're, because of the reporting relationship, I'd probably be curious and ask you to go first. And I would use it to say, where do you think we are on these seven elements? What do you think you're doing well? What do you think I'm doing well? And where do you think we have some work to do together? Yes. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so always explicit, always tactical, always tangible. And what I love too, as a, as a new leader, you really can lean into this to do the heavy lifting. Like it's not going to be comfortable all the time, but you have something to really lean into and walk you through the conversation. Like it's yeah. really helpful. Yeah. And we're not like hiding it in our pocket and saying, uh, let's talk, let's see. Maybe we start with boundaries. <laughs> no, we talk about an onboarding. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we we onboard with this. This is what we're looking, this is how we define yeah. trust. This is these are the skill sets. Mm -hmm. These are the behaviors we're looking for. These are the behaviors we want you to expect from us. We want to hear from you when we're not engaging in them. So braving, boundaries, reliability, accountability, vault, integrity, non-judgment, and generosity. You know what I'm thinking? What? I'm thinking we're at 40 minutes and maybe we should divide this into two parts. Okay. Do you want to lay this out and then the next one can be like how we use it? Yeah, let's do this. We're just talking like y'all aren't here with us, but let's do this. I have an idea for y'all. Why don't you go to the website to brenebrown.com and go to the Dare to Lead hub and download the one pager we have on the Braving Inventory. Mm-hmm. And then go through it and maybe have it with you or read it before you listen to the next one. And then you can follow along with us. And that way we can just really do some real learning and leaning in together. Yeah, I love that. What do you think? I love it. Okay. So this is episode one of two. So we talked about the marble jar. 
We talked about what braving is and how we use it. In the next episode, we'll go through the braving inventory, each one of the seven attributes, and we'll dig into how we talk about it, where the flags are, and what gets hard. I love it. Does that work for you? Yep, I love it. Okay. Y'all heard it here. She's committed to the second episode. (laughs) Okay, so... One of the things you can do, you can go to the podcast page on BreneBrown.com. So every episode of the Dare to Lead podcast and Unlocking Us, every episode has an episode page on the website. You can download the inventory there. You can download the inventory at the Dare to Lead hub. Either way, and we will go through it together next time. And if you want to, and this is something that a lot of teams are doing that we love hearing about, people are bringing their teams together and listening to the podcast over lunch, which is why I'm trying to keep them less than an hour. Yeah you know, so that we can listen together and stay awkward, brave, and kind until next week. And Barrett and I will jump into the braving acronym and what it means to brave trust. Thanks for being here, Barrett. Bye. Thank you for having me. Dear to Lead is produced by Brene Brown Education and Research Group. Music is by The Sufferers. Get new episodes as soon as they're published by following Dare to Lead on your favorite podcast app. We are part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Discover more award-winning shows at podcast.voxmedia.com. I just gotta get out most days, you see. I like walking around, it's good for me. Could you tell me where we could go eat? Take me to the good times. I just gotta get out most days, you see. I like walking around.